Come on, somebody say it again. I have tried over. you're talking to him. Say it one more time. I love you. I love you. Come on, y'all. I love you. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell hey, Julie, that I love you more
and the lights will turn on and your lies will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins, if you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lies will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadow lies will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life 
in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins. Rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. I want to talk again in this fifth iteration of the sermon, Bounce Back Better. You may take your seats in the presence of the Lord. Most of you are probably unaware that recently we just marked a humongous transition in the fight for freedom and civil rights. The transition of the leadership of the Push Rainbow Coalition, ably led for years by the Reverend Jesse Jackson. Reverend Jackson was one of those stalwart civil rights leaders who stood by Dr. King and even held him as his body lay limp from the bullet that would ultimately take his life at the Lorraine Motel, marched down the streets, fought for human dignity, for the rights of those who have been seemingly left behind by all of society, for the freedom and dignity of persons who felt that they were of no worth or little worth. The torch passed this week to Reverend Dr. Freddie Haynes, a wonderful pastor and freedom fighter and one of this nation's greatest young pastors and preachers that you could ever hear. The torch was passed at a service held in Dallas. And one of the things that was a part of the service was that Eric uh, Mike Dyson was scheduled to be on the program. Dr. Dyson, who is a scholar and intellect, public intellectual, was scheduled to speak. But he couldn't make it. So he asked the Reverend Al Sharpton to come in his stead. And of course, he was going to do it, but he got a call from Reverend Jackson. And as you know, Reverend Jackson suffers now from Parkinson's disease. He doesn't speak well. And so Reverend Jackson told him, said, Al, you're going to be in Dallas next week. He said, uh, he didn't ask him if he was coming. He said, you're going to be there. So. Reverend Jackson's son got on the phone with uh, Al Sharpton and said, um, how do you understand him? Do you know what he said? To which Al Sharpton said, if you had been as close to James Brown as I've been over my life, you can understand anybody. <laughs> One of the things that Al Sharpton said that caught my attention more than anything else was he talked about how middle class um, African Americans, middle class people who have 
actually stood on the shoulders of the ancestors to be where they are. Sometimes get to the place where they feel as though they have no obligation because they think they made it on merit. And he said he had an encounter with a individual who I will simply say was a part of the petty bourgeoisie, black middle class intelligentsia. And the gentleman told him, said, um, I don't march, I don't get involved in freedom movements and civil rights activities, I don't do that. Uh, I made it on my own. Uh, look at my resume. I went to the best schools. I went and joined the best fraternities. I'm in the best social circles. I've made it on my own. Look at my resume and and, and you can hear Al tell him this. He says, uh, you know, I'll give it to you. You, you did go to the best schools. You, you did, you did uh, get into the right fraternity. You were and you are in the best social circles. He said, but what you don't realize is the only reason somebody read your resume was because of the fight of civil rights that made them have to look at it. Because there was a time where your skin color would have denied you the position before they ever looked at the paperwork behind you. Lest we ever think that any of us are self-made, we all stand on the shoulders of someone, black, white, brown, I don't care who you are. We all stand on the shoulders of someone whose sacrifices put you in the position that you're in today. You live in a place that somebody has paid for. Some of you who are well educated in this room, and I know there are numerous uh, individuals who have achieved academic success and social success political success, economic success, and you speak real well, your grammar is proper, you, you have a great command of language, but you fail to forget and you fail to remember, I should say, that you're here and you're in this position because some unlearned woman, some unlearned man, somebody who may not have had your sensibilities and may not have been sensitized to the uh, accoutrements of life like you have. But they didn't mind walking in the hot sun. They didn't mind getting off the bus and putting feet to pavement. They didn't mind standing up and they were lynched and they were killed and they were murdered. They were mistreated and abused so that we could be where we are in this present moment. And we are here. And the thing about it is, I was listening uh, and I heard uh, the, the senator from Georgia, Senator Warnock, as he shared a, a thought with us and with others. And this thought was simple. He said a part of what made it easy for folk to support the movement in Montgomery was that everybody knew Rosa Parks. 
She was an upstanding citizen. She was well-dressed, articulate, a hard worker, a freedom fighter, member of the NAACP. She was a worker. She looked good. And when they mistreated her, if you mistreat the best of us, the rest of us don't have a chance. And everybody galvanized around her. And they came to her aid and ultimately became the Montgomery bus boycott. And he said, now, it's a lot easier to help those who look like that than it is to help Pookie and Ray Ray. It's a lot easier to help somebody who looks good than to help somebody who has prison clothes on or someone who is still struggling in addiction or someone who is still going through the dregs of life at the low end of the scale someone who has been completely marginalized it's easy for us to get our heads wrapped around the struggle my friend Dr. Edward P. Harding Jr who many of you know and who's scheduled to be here in October can't be here now. And we are praying for him and his family today. I went to pick him up after we had our situation where he wasn't able to make it here to be with us to preach on that Sunday. He was scheduled to be with us. He got sick, came back, and we were able to get him back around and revived. And God blessed him, and he was able to get up and so my wife and I went and we said, well, we're going to want to take you to dinner and, and let's just fellowship and what have you. So I go, we go over there, we pick him up and we go to dinner. He comes out, he's recovered, strength is back, at least enough to move around. He's completely dressed in what I think is his Sunday outfit. He's got a full suit on and a bow tie. Looking sharp as could be. We go out to dinner. So the next morning, I get up and I'm praying. I'm saying, God, look, I'm praying. I want his strength to be up. I want to be able to go to the airport. He's going to try and get back home. He doesn't want to go to the hospital here. So I'm, I go to the airport. I go to the, to the hotel to pick him up. And I'm calling him up. And he answers the phone. He said, I see you. He's standing outside. He's got a different suit on. This time he's wearing a blue pinstripe suit, a white Chris shirt, and a bow tie. I had to ask, you're going to the airport. Potentially you might have to go to see a doctor. We, we want to get you back to, your fam, to the family. Why do you have a bow tie on? He said, uh, Ben, out of all the video you've seen of police harassing black people, have you ever seen them ever pull anybody out of a car with a bow tie on? <laughs> this is my defense uniform <laughs> against brutality. The reality is, they would never look at your resume 
although he has an earned doctorate degree, they would only look at his skin color. And with that dress, the way he was garbed, they might think he's somebody. But on skin color alone, he might have been in trouble. The reality is that we live now in a world that's becoming more and more polarized, more and more divided, more and more entrenched into silos, black, white, Jew, non-Jew. Everybody's getting on the team where they want to be instead of realizing that that's not the divine design. Because all of us are God's children. The, the, the truth of the matter is that as long as there are people in the world who are shouting from the rooftop bias and prejudice, hatred, homophobia, anti this and anti that, who are misogynistic, who are racist, who are persons who care not about any public decorum or even the creation of a beloved community. As long as there are people who have a megaphone who speak that into the minds of people, we need somebody on the other side who will speak the love of God in the midst of the hatred and darkness of this world. I, um, I, I, I've been dealing with this text. Now this is my fifth time on the same text. And some of you probably say, well, when are you going to move on? When you get it. very first verse in this 58th chapter, the prophet is told to shout, scream, get the megaphone out, and tell my good people that your goodness is not good enough. Tell my chosen people that you're sitting back in your chosenness and you're starting to feel like you're better than everybody else. Tell my chosen people, y'all excuse me for being a little bit from the projects now, you're smelling yourself. You, you, you're thinking that you're better than everybody else and, and to the point where you believe that because you're doing well that other people not doing well doesn't matter. And God says to them, I, I need you to change. But Lord, we're fasting in your name. We're praying in your name. And God says, not good enough. What good is it if you fast, but you're an oppressor? 
What good is it if you fast and you're indifferent to the pain of others? What good is it if you fast and you see your brother and sister hungry and leave them there? So, I'm going to offer this today. I believe God wants three, there are three mental shifts that God required of Israel. See, it's not just a new action. It is a mental shift. So there are three mental shifts. If you notice, I'm calling us back to who we were. The church was at the center of the movement. Reverend King was a preacher. Abernathy was a preacher. Jesse was a preacher, is a preacher. Al's a preacher. Preachers, there are women who are in the movement who are preachers and deaconess who stood tall. You, 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 you have to realize that our minds have to change. The, 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 the Lord wants to hear, if I can put this this way, the, the, the ethos of the people needed to change. Now, I know I threw out a 10-cent word, so somebody's going to be sitting looking at me. The ethos of the people need to change. What is ethos? Ethos is the fundamental character or spirit of a culture. The underlying sentiment that informs the beliefs and customs or practices of a group or society. And what God was saying to them is, you have the ritual down, but you don't know how to practice righteousness. And having ritual without righteousness is wrong. I feel like preaching today. And so there are three things, I, and, and uh, I'll, I'll throw them out to you, and, uh, and I'll be, I won't be long, I won't be long, I won't be long. The first of which is um, egalitarianism over exceptionalism. Yeah, I know. Egalitarianism over exceptionalism. Now, before I break this other part down, I, 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 I tread on exceptionalism with a light step because the children of Israel couldn't lay claim on the fact that they were chosen. But what they couldn't lay claim on was the fact that they were better. Okay, you, you, let me help somebody here. Just because you and I have come out of darkness into the light. The Bible says, those of you that have been born again, you didn't choose me, I chose you. So in effect, you can claim chosen. But just because you've been chosen doesn't make you better. Better. 
Somebody in here know what I'm talking about. You got some opportunities that somebody right next to you didn't get, but you don't know how it happened, but God chose you. It didn't make you better than them. It just meant God blessed you differently than he blessed them. And the idea of egalitarianism is simply the belief in the equality of all people especially in political, social, or economic life. And, and, what, and what God was saying to them, if you read it closely, you can't be oppressors because you've been oppressed. You know what it's like to be oppressed. You know what it's like to have a hard time. You know what it's like to have somebody take from you and to make you work from sun up morning to dusk in the evening. You know what it's like to have a hard taskmaster. Don't you be one. You know what it's like to feel bias and prejudice. Don't you become bias and prejudice. You know what it's like to have people look at you askance because of the way you dress or the way you do your hair or the way you walk down the street. You know what it's like to have somebody think you're one way or another about you. And since you know what it's like, don't you dare do that to somebody else. You know how you felt under the weight of the oppression. How can you be an oppressor? You see, he says, I need you to see beyond the blessings you have, to have a heart for people. I need humanity to be in front of you, that you see the human there, that you become a humanitarian, that you become a person that cares so much that you can't help but bless somebody else. That, 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 that. That, that leads me to the second phase, second shift of mindset. It, it is the, the shift that is empathy over egoism. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, some of us are running around full of ourselves. See, I know you thought I was going wrong. I got you. No, we, we, we're running around. Like, like, uh, as Jill Scott would say, like it don't stink. Those Jill Scott fans caught that, the rest of y'all get it on the way home. The, the, the reality is that, that we can allow blessings to become the be all and end all of our existence. Or we can recognize that we carry the Abrahamic blessing that we have been blessed to be a blessing. That, 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 that what I have, God has given it to me, but, but he didn't just drop it there for me to hoard it. He dropped it there. The reason I've got more than enough is that I have some to share. And if I learn anything,
thing. I need to learn how to share that which God has done for me. And sometimes it's not money. Sometimes it's not food. Sometimes it's your education. Sometimes it's your wisdom. Sometimes it's your knowledge. Sometimes it's your experience. Sometimes it's the days that you've lived on the face of the earth. A young wealthy comic uh, said the other day, he said um, in a clip, he said, Dave Chappelle say, gave me the best advice I've ever received in my comic career. He said, he said what, what kind of advice could Dave give me? He said, well, Dave, always trying to pass down wisdom to, to, to comics. And, and when I was about to do a deal, I had a lawyer who was going to do the standard 5% fee. And uh, I went and talked to Dave Chappelle about it, and Dave said, no, you tell them no thank you. I've got a lawyer that you can use that'll be just as good, and he'll do it hourly. The lawyer Dave Chappelle got him cost him $5,000. The 5% commission would have been $750,000. for the same job. Sometimes what people need is your wisdom. And some of that wisdom undoubtedly probably came as he had been robbed by lawyers and by persons who were acting on his behalf. And since I've already bought this sense, there's no sense in me allowing you to pay for it again. Let me help you now, put you up on game so that you do not have to experience what I experienced. No sense in both of us paying for this knowledge. When you learn, you get to the point where you have empathy over your ego. Um, empathy means simply this. It's the intellectual identification with or the vicarious experiencing of the feelings, thoughts, or attitudes of another. Um, you know, what blew my mind about the death of George Floyd was the fact that there were a lot of people who watched that murder and said he got what he deserved. There were people who watched that and said he shouldn't have been wrestling with the cops. There are people who watched that and said, um, well, if he hadn't tried to pass off a $20 bill, he wouldn't have been in that situation. Okay. First of all, we don't even know if it was a bad $20 bill or not. But if it was, is that worthy of the death penalty? Some of y'all got $20 sitting over your visor in your car right now. You could have paid for it right there. Listen. What you have to realize is what it tells you when a person can see another person suffer and not be hurt by it is that they lack empathy. Do you know all of you love to quote Ecclesiastes 3, the time and all the time 
Well, when you look at it, if you think about the times that we all go through, there's a time to mourn and a time to weep. The idea is that we are to weep with them that weep and to mourn with them that mourn and to rejoice with them that rejoice. Hold up, it's going over your head. I can see you missing it. In other words, you ought to feel an experience with your neighbor because you are empathetic to what they're going through. So if you're struggling, I'm struggling. And unfortunately, we were grounded in it so deeply when we were in the South. We were grounded in it in slavery to the point when the master got sick, we would say, Master, is we sick? And some of us have pushed out our empathy that we do not have it for our brothers and sisters. So when it is the person who is going through the worst of life, we are not as empathetic as we should be. Okay, I wanna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna mess with somebody now because, you know, it's amazing to me that there's some brothers and sisters in jails all over this nation for crimes now that rich folk are making money from. It amazes me today that we have three strike rules where somebody can get put in jail for a petty crime and given a life sentence. It amazes me today that we can't hardly build housing to house the unhoused, but yet we're building prisons every day and the prison industrial complex is growing while the housing market is so hot, even if you got money, you can't buy a decent place to live. It's amazing to me today that a person can sell the same amount of drugs in one area and because that amount of drugs is being sold under a name that other folk don't like, they will put them in jail forever and this other person carrying a more deadly substance, controlled as well, will be at home before they even have to take a prison meal. But we buy in to the other mentality that makes people believe that we should not care about those that are struggling. They did it to deserve it. Well, I, I, I'm going to tell you this. I don't mind justice, but what I do mind is injustice. I, I, I need to close. I know I know I need to close because some of y'all have to think about this a little while. Um, see, uh, some of you are good at having empathy for those who you love. So if it's your child going through, you almost can make an excuse. I don't care what they did, you can find a reason why they had to do it. They just, you know, you just don't know. Little boo-boo just, they're just, uh, you know, 
she she just you know you just if you if you knew her you knew her that was a mistake it was a mistake you you, you find empathy for those you love but real empathy in society that creates a beloved community sees not only those I know, but sees everyone and wants everyone to do better. Um, I, I, don't, I don't lose anything if you eat. No, I, I've had enough meals already. I won't even have a missed meal cramp. So why should I worry about somebody getting ahead? When to be community, we should all be pushing others ahead. I, I'm last point and I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I know my time is up, I'm out of time, but I'm not out of word. But the last point is, it is engagement over emptiness, engagement over emptiness. Here, here it is, here it is, here it is. He says, he says, instead of you living an empty life, I'll give you a full life. He said, instead of you living an empty life, he says, I'll make water spring up in you. Instead of you living an empty life, I'll give you places to live and I will strengthen you even to your bones and make you strong. Instead of you living an empty life, I will cause you to be in the light even in darkness. He says, instead of you living an empty life, I will bless you. But see, I'm going to do that because you have allowed yourself to become a caring individual to the point that you offered yourself in service to the world and to the community because you realized that serving the others was also serving the Lord and that serving the Lord would pay off after a while. And because you did that, because you didn't stay on the sideline, but because you got engaged, you got involved, that's what what I mean by engagement because you decided that you could make a difference in this world I'm going to bless you and as you keep making a difference in the world I'll let you take the past that you have behind you and the rubble that is in your past and build a new life because you got involved with the lost the least the left out and the left behind I'll take your life and I'll bless you at your house I'll come to your address. I'll heal your family. I'll pick up your pieces and I'll put you back together again. And together we will become restorers of cities, repairers of the breach. We will become those that build the ruined places. But we got to get the right mindset. We got to decide that it is better to give than to receive. We got to decide that serving the Lord is worth that we got to decide that we don't need a payout from anybody here because the payment that we receive comes from above because when we bless others 
we bless God in as often as you did this to the least of these my little ones. You did it unto me. And I decided that I want to be a blessing. I decided that because God has been good to me, that I know how to be good to somebody else. Is there anybody here that wants to join the freedom fight to make the world a little bit better? Because when we make it better for others, we also make it better for ourselves. And this is the fast that he calls for, that we would feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and visit them that are prison bound. That's how the world and the community bounces back better. Come on, give God a praise. I want an extended invitation. Even now, maybe there's somebody who's heard this word today and who will say, I want to be a partner with those people there, with that church. I want to be a member of that fellowship. I want to join with whatever they are doing. I want to be with them. We extend an invitation to come online. If you're watching us now, whether on Facebook or YouTube, our number is there, and so is our email address. Call us even now. Write us. We would love to hear from you. I extend an invitation. I want to offer you this wonderful, glorious journey of serving God in a better frame of mind. I extend an invitation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I see hearts that have been broken. So many online right now 
or you can even mail it in to P.O. Box 929, New London, Connecticut. The tithe belongs to the Lord. So we give our tithe even before we give our offering. And anything above our tithe is our offering. And so I invite you to get your tithes, your offering, your capital gifts in your hand. If you have your gift in your hand, hold it in your hand. If you're paying or giving your gift by device, hold your device in your hand. Meaning if you're using your phone, hold your phone in your hand. The Bible says, give and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, when men heap unto your bosom. The Bible says, will a man rob God, yet you rob me in tithes and offering? He says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me even this whole nation. Bring me all the tithes into the storehouse. There may be meat in my house, and prove me now what's all, oh, so far and open the windows of heaven, for our blessings you have room enough not to receive. Hold your, your device in your hand as you tell God, thank you, because you've been blessed to be a blessing. You can't give what he didn't give you. And everything you got, he gave it to you. Hallelujah. Everything you have, he gave it to you. Close your eyes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these gifts now. We ask that you bless them even now. Cause your hand to be upon them so that they will multiply, so that we will be a blessing. Have your way. We thank you for it right now. Return into your people 60, 80, 100 fold. And Lord, let them know that it was you that did the blessing. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, put your hands together and honor God.